Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today let the word go forth fool me once are you fired up if i'm not a crook are you ready to go shame on shame on you it's abe lincoln's top hat hosted by ben kissel boom you can't get fooled again welcome to the show everyone i'm ben kissel marcus parks is out he's doing something for turkey day I don't know. It's Thanksgiving. Whatever. He's mashed having- potato Thursday. Mashed potato Thursday. So thanks for uh, for being here, Travis. Travis Morningstar is with us. Absolutely. Uh, so all right. So today's episode, I interview uh, Professor Robert Fetrakis. He was on the show again. Uh, well, he was on the show previously, and he's on the show again. Uh, he talks about vote stripping and, and voter fraud and those sorts of things. Jill Stein is currently having a recount in Wisconsin, so we get into detail on that. A lot of people are upset with Jill Stein and uh, or confused by what's happening, so hopefully this episode clears some of those things up. I think you'll also note that I have some amazing zingers and poppers throughout <laughs> the interview. Uh, Travis, the uh, producer who is sitting in today, did not find them funny. I didn't get it. Uh, you didn't get a couple of them. I said Bay of Pigs. That would be a great name for a restaurant. That's a classic Kissel Zinger. So that's a little Easter egg in the episode. Check out that. I think the professor said the funniest thing when he, he refers to a bulldozer as a dozer. Okay. Well, thank you, Travis. I, I that's very. That I had a little. He is funny. He is very funny and very smart. So I think you'll like the interview. I had another. I, what was my other big zinger? Oh, there was a couple of them. The the Cleveland Indians, oh, yeah. Chicago Cubs. Oh my God, I, I was on that was fire. A, that was a long zinger. That I, was I, a long zinger. Zingers typically, you know, in and out. That no, was, that was kind of a classic Kissel long <laughs> zingers all the way around. Um, I want to say I hope you guys all had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I hope everyone survived their families. Um, and uh, all right, so let's listen to this interview between me and uh, Professor Robert Fetrakis, and I hope you like it. All right, we're here with uh, Professor Bob Petrakis. Thanks so much for being here, Professor. Oh, glad to be on. So you are spearheading the recount campaign in Wisconsin on behalf of Jill Stein. And uh, there's been so much, uh, you know, social media has been talking about this. Some people upset, some people confused. I think election fatigue is extremely high. Um, what is the, the point? What's the end game? What's the motivation behind uh, the recount that the Green Party on behalf of Jill Stein is currently doing in Wisconsin? Our U.S. government uh, would do this in any other uh, uh, nation uh, that was outside our borders uh, because there were certain uh, red flags. And, of course, there's a difference between a red flag and a smoking gun. Mm -hmm. So there's no smoking gun. But the difference between the exit polls Mm -hmm. uh, and the actual vote count uh, uh, is so far out, 
outside the margin of error, uh, in particularly in uh, in these battleground states uh, that we're recounting, is that it bears uh, closer looking. Uh, right. And uh, here's a great irony as well in the state of New York. The exit polls indicate that Hillary Clinton picked up an unexpected 6.2% of the vote as well. It just would not shift any electoral votes. So isn't, uh, you know, it's interesting because, of course, uh, the last time you were on, we talked about the the vote flipping that occurred in 2004 in Ohio. Uh, You know, obviously what happened in 2000 in Florida. Wisconsin wasn't traditionally thought of as a swing state. I mean, uh, Hillary's poll numbers were fairly high in beating Donald Trump throughout this entire election cycle. So why do you think Wisconsin uh, is sort of at the epicenter of this controversy? Well, it's precisely uh, why I think you're throwing in Michigan and uh, uh, and Wisconsin, because the, the polls, uh, not only the tracking polls leading up to the election, uh, but the exit polls done by Edison Research Group uh, indicated that she should win there by, in Wisconsin, by uh, four points. So mm. when she loses by a little over 1%, uh, that kind of shift from the actual voters walking out of the polls to the official count usually bears uh, scrutiny. It's precisely because uh, they were considered the blue line uh, and the exit polls are so much different from what people said. Uh, you're going to take a look. And I think also within the atmosphere of, you know, hacking, uh, although I don't tend to fear the Russians on this, We'll get to the Russians a little bit uh, in a second. Obviously, you mentioned the blue line for Hillary Clinton. This was the firewall for the Clinton campaign. Is it possible, and I do want to, again, go back to what Jill Stein and what your actual end goal is uh, regarding the recount in Wisconsin, but when it comes to the exit polls, is it possible that the people who are conducting those exit polls sort of sought out individuals that they thought they might get the response they desired from? You would think that, uh, you know, there's millions and millions of dollars that Edison, you know, really has a monopoly uh, over, and it's working with the large media, you know, consortiums. You would hope that uh, they were professional enough not to bias uh, their uh, their polling. But right. if if the official numbers, you do a recount, uh, I mean, and the official numbers in the exit polls, end up, you know, significantly at odds, the next place you'd have to go to is the polling group and uh, and figure out, uh, you know, why they appear to be so incompetent. So when we talk about exit polls, um, are we simply discussing uh, individuals walking out of a polling station in any random county, um, schoolhouse or library in Wisconsin, and being stopped physically by an individual who then asks them who they voted for? And if that's the case, isn't it also possible that someone would say they voted for Hillary because the Trump backlash was so intense and the amount of animosity that people who um, voted for Trump felt they might uh, they might get if they if they admitted uh, their support for the men? Well, the uh, the data would indicate that randomization would be key. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we really need to look and I actually have a lawsuit against Edison Research Group trying to claim that they're acting like a uh, monopoly state actor, right? Because, you know, they've got all these polls uh, and they're adjusting to the state numbers, but they won't show anyone exactly how they're picking these people. Uh, We would hope that they're randomized, uh, as you pointed out. And the other key factor, equally important, is that they're actually representative 
uh, of the population, you know, demographically. Now, most of the data historically in what you call the, what we call the reluctant responder is that mm. most people tend to ignore pollsters and not stop and do a survey and then lie to them. Uh, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> right. The uniqueness of the two most unpopular candidates ever put forth uh, in the same election. Oh, uh, my God. I may have altered this. We, we don't know that yet. The, the first thing you do is you look at your instrumentation to make sure it's right. Uh, but once you look at that instrumentation, uh, the next thing uh, that should be done, although it's probably protected by proprietary uh, you know, business laws, uh, is to look at the uh, polling sample and make sure that Edison – uh, you know, wasn't biased in their sampling. Right. So, um, yeah, that's uh, it, it is interesting. People, uh, if you uh, tend to be someone drawn to talking about uh, talking about your political beliefs with a pollster, um, specifically in this election cycle, it might, again, skew the results uh, in a way that would make Hillary come across as the victor. What is so going back to Jill Stein and what you guys are actually doing in Wisconsin, um, which I am all for, by the way. I mean, I, we got to keep the uh, the feet to the fire here when it comes to our uh, our elections. What is the Green Party's end goal? Because a lot of people, uh, specifically on the left, are upset with Jill Stein. They think that uh, just her presence alone. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting the hate mail. <laughs> I'm sure you are. I mean, I would hate to be your mailbox right now and be mean spirited. Well, I'd worked for you know for for 30 years. Thought I was. Uh, participating in a uh, silent coup. Uh, it's uh, you know I've been I've been getting a lot of interesting uh, uh, emails from people that you know the uh, I understood the dislike. Yeah, I share much of it. You know I'm, I I've been on the public record. Uh, you know as Hillary being a war criminal for what she did in Libya, but the uh, level you know and really uh, a lot of this isn't coming from pro-Trump people. It's coming from the left. Right. Uh, so what? Uh, what one of the big misconceptions is that somehow the Green Party uh, could get rich off this or Jill Stein. Um, as you know, the FEC pays very careful attention and requires there's uh, an advisory uh, 2006-24, the 24th advisory that year that says you have to set up a very specific uh, recount account, segregate all of the money, uh, and uh, really it has to be disposed of as a, in a way that doesn't benefit individuals right. and or uh, the party in the future. So, for example, so all these when, costs, uh, yeah. will be going for the recount. Right. In Wisconsin alone, the estimate so far has been 1.1 million just to the state. The higher people. Uh, you know, we have to pay a prorated rate for all their salaries. Right. So, I mean, that and that is an interesting thing. Obviously, uh, Jill Stein did very well. Uh, the Internet can give you uh, riches overnight, and she certainly did acquire uh, a, a few million of those uh, when she announced that she was going to do the recount in Wisconsin. But I just I'm still having a hard time understanding what is the goal? What is the Green Party trying to? Uh, I can tell you my goal. Yeah, what is your goal? Green Party position. I, I speak as the shadow cabinet member, their FEC commissioner. I'm trying to drive all private, partisan, for-profit uh, companies that use secret proprietary software uh, out of the election counting uh, business, uh, out of controlling the uh, the voting rolls, 
uh, out of programming secretly the machines, mm -hmm. out of programming the central tabulators and doing the election night uh, reporting. Uh, I believe you cannot have a fair system with uh, essentially non-transparency and the fact that they're secretly allowed to program when there's existing open source software, the Trachtenberg software, uh, for example, Mitch uh, Trachtenberg uh, created, uh, that, that you've got millions of lines of code, that you've got the gem system used originally by Debolt that went out of business uh, because of a worldwide pattern of fraud, that uh, these people and these machines and this type of uh, source code and, uh, and software uh, programming, computer tabulation mm -hmm. uh, programming would be allowed to exist. It makes no sense. Uh, you know, right. I, and also, I think the end game for me is to get us to count on pencil and paper uh, and as a transition to have open source. So yeah. uh, there's no private, uh, you know, companies doing it. I mean, I've been on your show before. I mean, I, I believe somebody uh, we should have investigated the 12 uh, Hillary Clinton uh, elections uh, that were significantly outside the margin of error. Uh, in the primary right. that seemed to be taking votes away from uh, Bernie Sanders. Well, that's kind of my next question here. Regarding Hillary Clinton, obviously it was a stunning upset to lose to Donald Trump in Wisconsin. Nobody saw it coming, and uh, quite frankly, yeah, again, stunning is the only word that I can think of right now to describe it. Why wasn't the Clinton campaign more on the forefront of trying to address these voter fraud issues or, uh, you know, um, you know, stripping issues? Why do you think it was the Green Party and Jill Stein that sort of, you know, took on uh, took on this venture and, uh, and, and and took on the obligation to trying to uh, clean up our uh, our voting process? Uh, I have uh, you know, no idea. It makes no sense to me is that these elections were close enough. Uh, she's been Secretary of State, and she's aware of the standards that our government uses. Uh, often, you know, if it's uh, three or more deviations outside the margin of error, uh, which some of these were, uh, usually that means you should go in and uh, recount or investigate. Uh, so the um, Agency on International Development. Mm -hmm. Then has you know puts out pamphlets on this. Now again, it's not a smoking gun, but it's you know someone's waving waving the red flag and says, it, you know, go in and take a look at this to make sure it's a free and fair election. Uh, you know, I think uh, it's the same mistake that was made by uh, John Kerry uh, in 2004. Right. I mean, these people accumulate all this money, all these influence. You know. Uh, they're, you know, they're buying up uh, uh, attorneys, you know, by by the barrel load, and then uh, push comes to shove, and they don't use any of this stuff uh, in the most important thing to make sure that we get a fair and accurate count. So, I mean, Jill decided this really. Uh, I mean, she didn't even put up the website till Wednesday right. in the afternoon or so. And I know the campaign was actually looking at possibly borrowing money. There was no idea that there would be an outpouring like this, right. particularly since the Green Party deliberately refused to accept uh, $100,000 donations. Uh, people could have given $100,200 if the Green uh, 
National Committee uh, would have accepted it, but there was a notion that we should keep the contributions small. Right. Thus, the sign campaign with a segregated account under 2,700. But uh, it looks like there's a lot of people, you know, that uh, want to take a closer look at this. Yeah. And again, there's a lot of private co- uh, companies there, uh, Dominion, uh, Command Central. Uh, which, uh, you know, is a two, three-person operation that does a lot of programming for a lot of machines. Uh, You know, my end goal, and we'll see how how much we can push the state of Wisconsin, you know, I'd like to see the audit logs run off. You know, I I would like uh, those printed off and uh, the machines uh, that uh, have the electronic uh, ballots and the audit logs that allow you to audit and sequence the vote count. I would like to see all of those compared uh, because of the so-called computer glitches, which, by the way, have happened in Wisconsin in the past, including in 2011. So uh, I want to get a good close-up of how these vote uh, votes actually are counted, right. how the central tabulators work, you know, what what devices are they using to transmit from the precincts uh, uh, to the counties? I mean, this election cycle was so insane. I mean, 2016 as a year was crazy. I was just talking to my friend about what happened. The Cleveland Ca- uh, Cavaliers won the NBA championship. The Cubs won the World Series. Trump won this whole thing. Um did the Russians influence the Cubs Indians World Series by any chance? Oh, well, <laughs> if they did, they're merciful. Uh, it shows Putin uh, has a has a side of compassion by allowing, you know, uh, the uh, but, Cubs to go forward. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, with the Russian interaction, I mean, WikiLeaks was so powerful in, the, in this election cycle. Um, do you feel as if they really did have a, uh, a, a, a a tangible influence on the votes? Is there anything that would uh, that would that would, uh, you know, make them complicit in some of the voter fraud or some of the voter stripping that may have happened in Wisconsin? Is there any sort of indication that you've seen that there was an outside interference in the U.S. domestic election? I haven't seen that. What what I've seen is, uh, you know, with the Voting Rights Act, uh, its operative, uh, you know, portion struck down. You know, this uh, was old-fashioned kind of voter suppression, you know, for poor and uh, minorities. I mean, here in Ohio, which has funny numbers, but it was a toss-up state, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Trump was winning by a tenth of a point. I mean, we have some of the worst numbers, but I suspect some of that may have been, you know, by the million people that were purged in the run-up to the election and another million, uh, 50,000 that didn't get an absentee uh, ballot uh, request form. So uh, right. a lot of the stripping uh, seemed to be open, uh, seemed to be justified legally, although, uh, you know, I don't agree with it, and I think it should be illegal. But, uh, you know, we have no constitutional right to vote in this country. This isn't the European Union where they demand the countries, you know, the government shall register its citizens to vote. Uh, you know, it depends on who owns the state apparatuses in the United right. States. We have a Jim Crow system, you know, states' rights, whatever state uh, who's ever running the Secretary of State's office uh, gets away with whatever they want. So when you say voters were purged from uh, from the list, how does that actually look? I mean, are those, you know, because in people's minds, they, they think of voter ID laws. And we talked about this the last time you were on. 
How do, what, how do you actually disenfranchise a group of one million people without having a mutiny on your hands? Well, usually, uh, like a lot of these people don't even know uh, unless they get the letter. Uh, for example, a common way uh, here in Ohio is I send you something from the Secretary of State's office. Usually the people that are tend to be lower social economic class. So you've moved within your apartment complex or down the street, you're still in the county. Technically, you're still allowed to vote. You vote at the Board of Election, right? You live in the county, you've moved. Uh, perfectly uh, legal uh, to vote. But what the secretaries of state have uh, find out in many states, what they'll do is they'll, they'll send out these mass mailings to your last address. And here in Ohio, on the envelope, in bold letters, it says, do not forward. It prohibits oh. uh, the uh, post office from forwarding, and you have to return it. Now, they mm. send out two of those, and they're returned. Uh, they use that, the two returns, uh, as proof the voter's not there. Uh, and they purge, I even see. though the voter may be a block away or in the same building. Uh, and if you allowed it to be forward, uh, he might change his address or on Election Day, he or she um, might vote where they know they can vote the uh, board of elections. So in this election cycle, Hillary, uh, Hillary got 11 million less votes uh, than Barack Obama was able to. As a matter of fact, she lost to Donald Trump in certain uh, counties that uh, Barack Obama did very well in. And of course, uh, Trump, uh, I believe he got roughly two million less votes than Romney did. Um, do you feel like this lower voter turnout was extremely beneficial towards Donald Trump? And if so, why was, you know, for example, President Barack Obama, uh, he told Hillary to concede that night. Um, why didn't Hillary fight more? Because I feel like a lot of people in this election, it was such a stressful 16 months. It's even a strange number to say out loud when discussing a presidential election. They were so invested and so stressed, and then it's over. Do you think that Hillary Clinton should have done a little bit more of what Al Gore did in 2000 and, and, and filed some federal lawsuits and uh, tried to get the numbers exact. Oh, I, I believe she should have. Uh, there, I mean, she's going to win by whatever two million popular votes, which calls into question the Electoral College itself, as it did in uh, in 2000. Uh, and, and to some extent, I, I believe that uh, you know, if there was any intentional. You know, if we find out it looks like somebody was trying to program this in certain states, you know, if that does happen, you know, it may well have been a last minute situation after the FBI, you know, came out with more emails and WikiLeaks seemed to be dropping devastating revelations about Hillary Clinton day after day after day, you know, the the licenses that went to Saudi Arabia to buy weapons, the fact that you're selling weapons to Saudi Arabia, which really more than anyone else created ISIS. Uh, I, I think, you know, some in her own party perceived her uh, as incredibly damaged goods who might be under constant investigation and uh, possible indictment should she have won. So with Donald Trump now, he is the president-elect. I believe he takes over the office in 54 days or something like that. God knows he hasn't stopped uh, tweeting. Uh, That's for certain. 
Um, how horrified are you by his presidency or are you horrified at all? Or do you think it would be a good thing or what, what are your thoughts going forward? Because it was such a stunning upset. It did take a little while. I mean, I remember I woke up the next day, I looked at the cover of the New York post president, uh, Trump was, you know, w- with his, with his picture there on the cover smiling. It was, it was kind of shocking. What do you think the future of America is regarding, uh, these next four years under president Trump? Well, uh, my biggest fear, you know, I'm surprised that he seems to be, you know, uh, going in direction of some people that, uh, you know, want to use, in some cases, heavy state action (laughs) to go after, you know. Uh, immigrants. Uh, I was right. hoping there there would be uh, you know virtually uh, no influence by the so-called uh, alt right. Uh, uh, I was a bit surprised, uh, you know, when uh, when uh, Bannon's uh, appointment uh, was made. Right. And, uh, understanding that you do have to throw some red meat to some of your core supporters, but uh, I've been surprised at how conservative some of his appointments have been. Sure. I saw Ms boss out of Michigan uh, for education. Uh, so, uh, I mean, people complained vigorously when Reagan did a little of this, uh, you know, uh, in 1980, right. 81. But, uh, you know, Trump seems to be being influenced. I mean, the fact that you're using J. Kenneth Blackwell, mm. you know, who was crushed running for governor of this state after the 04 election because he was considered so right wing and so partisan uh, in the recount. So some of the people he selected, I found uh, uh, surprising. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion that, you know, the neoliberal bubble burst, right? The uh, neocon Warhawk uh, free trade bubble put forward by the Clintons had played out, uh, you know, its course uh, and bust and went bust much like the economy did in 08, 09. Yeah. And that uh, Trump was there to fill the vacuum because the the other side uh, on some on so many levels uh, was not uh, in in any case uh, that much different on a lot of the key war and trade issues. Right. Sure. And of course, you know, Trump has promised now to get rid of TPP and things like that. Um, he seems to be consistent with that campaign promise. Uh, his policy, his policies might reflect it. Uh, I want to stick with this uh, Department of Education, the Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. Obviously, you're a professor. You're quite invested in the education system of the United States. What do you think about her? A lot of people are upset that her kids never went to public school. And, uh, you know, she has really no uh, formal uh, training in, in being the Secretary of Education. What do you think about that appointment? Is this a sign that Trump will be more of a neocon than you previously expected? Oh, no, absolutely. I was really surprised by that. Uh, I, you know, uh, having been involved in education as a college professor with uh, high school prep in the area, I've been a big fan of uh, a choice within public schools some of the experiments that Deborah Myers and other people did. Uh, I'm also well aware of uh, uh, the failure of, you know, well, I support any of these charter schools that are successful, but the, a quarter of the ones in Ohio have failed miserably. And it looks like, you know, she's been a long advocate of the voucher system. But uh, I've always found that when you give out that much uh, money. We we've had huge scandals with the no child left behind money mm-hmm. being systematically looted uh, uh, in uh, in Columbus. Hmm. 
where I've written about it. So uh, that's surprising. The other thing that concerns me is the ties between the DeVos family uh, and the Prince family in terms of uh, the marriage and how that connects uh, to Blackwater and Z, who I consider to be, you know, mercenary war profiteers. Hmm. Um, so when it comes down to uh, let's 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 switch gears a little bit. Obviously, Fidel Castro, uh, he passed away this weekend. Uh, Jill Stein, uh, she put out a tweet praising Fidel Castro. People on Twitter have been against him or for him. I personally uh, am not a huge fan of the man. But what are your thoughts on uh, on uh, on Fidel Castro and specifically on the Green Party's affinity for leaders like him? Well, the you know it, when I, when I look at Castro, it's sort of uh, you know, his his big mistake, if any, is he wasn't one of, you know, one of our SOBs, as uh, FDR said, is that, you know, the U.S. has never really had a, a problem with strong-armed, uh, you know, dictators uh, that are undemocratic. Mm. Uh, this one just happened to pick the other side during the Cold War and perhaps, you know, and, and tried to get uh, nuclear weapons, uh, you know, on his island. Right. So, you know, I, I went to Cuba after it was opened up, not that I, uh, Fidel wasn't meeting with people. Uh, I found uh, the people and the young people to be very open, uh, very much into, you know, uh, Western uh, 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 culture. Uh, the one thing that I was impressed by, of course, was their medical system uh, and their literacy rates. But, you know, I mean, there was a lot of poverty uh, in the rural areas, they were still using beasts of burdens to do a lot of their agriculture. And uh, to be quite frank, when I talked to them, and, you know, because uh, there were a lot of greens on that trip who talked, to you know, about their um, uh, organic farming. And they said, look, it has nothing to do with us wanting to be organic farmers. Right. You know, it has everything to do with the sanctions. <laughs> right. I mean, we did this out of necessity so yeah. we wouldn't starve. Well, that's one way to make your entire country like a hipster in South, uh, in uh, in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Just take away all their technology and make them go organic that way. Uh, that seems to be the thing. But uh, uh, again, you know, I think uh, Fidel... You know, I mean, I'm going back, had we not allowed, and it goes back to FDR, you know, had we not allowed uh, people like Meyer Lansky to represent FDR and uh, move out, uh, you know, uh, Batista and then move them back in, uh, and if we didn't have the Bay of Pigs, uh, who knows how it, uh, how it would have worked out. And also the question is, uh, you know, if he could pitch better and he would have been picked up by the Yankees, uh, history would have been different. That's very true. And, you know, I've always said this about the Bay of Pigs. It would make a great name for a restaurant. But that's a whole other story. When it comes, let's move back to uh, Jill Stein. The producer is looking at me like that was a terrible joke. Bay of Pigs is a restaurant. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, let's go back to Jill Stein, the Green Party, and the left uh, as a whole. Where do they go from here? I mean, obviously, the sort of, uh, you know, center, what became to be center-right uh, politics of the Hillary Clinton uh, campaign. I mean, the, you know, the, because the country just moved so far to the left, it feels like we're getting more polarized in this binary system. Where does the left go? Do they embrace the Jill Stein uh, sort of more revolutionary uh, leftist, your Bernie Sanders, who isn't quite as far to the left as someone like Jill Stein? Or do they try to uh, maintain a centrist uh, policy platform in hopes that people will be so dis uh, disillusioned by the right after a Trump presidency that they'll then look to go uh, to the center and maybe something what would be perceived to be more uh, statist or uh, rational policies? 
I think logically they'll move uh, slightly center left. Uh, I mean, here here in Ohio, in, in Columbus, the capital, you've already got two kind of progressive uh, groups fighting with the old remnants of the Clintonistas over the Central Committee. So I think uh, that battle is going to be played out throughout the country. It'll matter in uh, in blue states. Uh, I think Sanders has had a, a uh, a, now I don't want to say permanent, but has had a definite impact uh, on their uh, policy. Uh, with the Greens, uh, you know, I mean, the Greens' future is really, uh, I think, in the in the college towns uh, that often uh, have no uh, real apparatus. In some of those areas, uh, they'll be competing directly with the Democratic Party. In other rural areas, uh, you know, the Republicans. But I think, unless they can get, you know, create actual central committees in party structure, uh, they won't be able to build in the way they really need uh, to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, they should be aided by a lot of these movements that uh, Trump policies are sure to put in place. So the big question, which it all often comes down to, is uh, party building. What are, what's their capacity? Well, you have a situation, I mean, obviously the riots that occurred in Portland, uh, the reports of the people that were arrested, the, 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 the reports were that 70% of them uh, did not vote, either because they weren't uh, residents of, uh, of Oregon or uh, they just simply uh, didn't go out there and, uh, and, and take the time to uh, participate in democracy or a kleptocracy, as, as, as you re- refer to it, and it seems to be more accurately uh, portrayed that way. Um, what do you tell those people? Um, because, you, we, you know, we discuss voter fraud, we discuss voter flipping and, and, and stripping, and then you have individuals who don't vote. They don't like the results of the election that they didn't vote in protesting. What's the um, – I think people are trying to find an answer. Like if, if it's all a fraud, if it's all a scam – then what's the reason to participate at all? And if we don't participate in the voting booth and we participate on the streets, how are we going to be able to maintain any kind of order as a society? Well, I think the battle is going to be local. Uh, you know, in the next few years, uh, it's going to be a battle over who controls the police, you know, and whether or not we're going to have Bill of Rights enforcement zones. Uh, I think people should get active, stay active. I think they should push, uh, which are often the the more liberal, uh, socially liberal and pro-civil libertarian uh, governments at the uh, local level Mm -hmm. to say that our our police aren't going to be involved in, you know, rounding up uh, people by ethnic profiling of of uh, Latinos. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, we're not going to spy. Uh, you know, I think they mobilize, need to mobilize. And uh, uh, if there's any registration lists that come along where uh, Islamic, I intend to convert. I, I want your listeners to know immediately that the moment they put a list in place, I am converting to Islam and I will surrender uh, and encourage everyone I know to do so. So I think the battle will be between local autonomy right. uh, and the national government. And I think it's incumbent on all of us that believe in the Constitution and particularly the Bill of Rights uh, 
uh, to fight status forces that are involved in any way uh, in racial or ethnic profiling. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, specifically when it comes to DACA, we had a we interviewed a, a, a listener on the last episode. He's one of the 750,000 people that enrolled in DACA, and he's extremely concerned that he will be deported back to El Salvador. Um, and that, of course, seems like a great place for Trump to start if he wants to deport two million people. He's got all their information, and it's a guaranteed near million people that he could deport relatively easily because they followed th- they did what the government asked them to do and uh, and gave them all their information when it comes to uh-huh. Jill Stein um, you know because she is the she is the figurehead of the recount right now in Wisconsin I want to get back to that a little bit um, just personally there are personal attacks ag- against her that she's doing this for selfish reasons she cost Hillary the election and now she wants to you know get her keep her name uh, in the news. What do you give? Do you give any sort of credit to those uh, to those opinions and to that sort of anger? Uh, many of it coming from individuals who voted for Hillary Clinton, like we talked about earlier on in the show. All the hate mail you're getting tends to be from people who supported Hillary. What do you What do you say to defend Jill Stein as someone who knows her personally and knows? Um, that- I, I was in on the inside of some of these decisions. Uh, let me first of all, Jill Stein had no inclination on earth. Uh, to recount this election, right? Uh, it wasn't her idea. Uh, she was contacted, and you'll see some of this in uh, news reports of this. You know, uh, John Boniface, who, who worked as a Green Attorney in 2004, winner of a Genius Award, uh, who had been involved in elections, and again, uh, uh, Professor Hartman there at the University of Michigan, and a variety of social scientists. Uh, who were real obsessed with the numbers, mm-hmm. and their target was Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know, Jill Stein was Plan B. Oh, uh, I see. And when Jill Stein was approached, uh, she wasn't uh, overly. She hadn't really, you know, studied the problem in any depth. Mm-hmm. But there was, you know, a variety of people that were concerned about the red flags in the exit polls. Uh, and thought states that close, uh, particularly Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, needed to be looked into mm-hmm. if we were to have faith in our voting uh, system. So, I mean, it, it took her a while uh, uh, to come around. In fact, I, you know, I did some research. I put out some articles that, you know, I, I hadn't paid that much attention myself because, you know, it's Hillary Clinton's uh, defeat didn't throw me into massive despair. Some of the things she did as Secretary of State did. Right. So, uh this wasn't any, you know, anyone that knows Jill and knows the decisions that were made in this period. Uh, it wasn't something she wanted to do, uh, was looking uh, forward. Uh, I mean, coming out of the campaign, right, at the end, she had had pneumonia. It's on the record. You know, she'd uh, been in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wasn't looking for this fight. And to tell you the truth, I mean, there was a question of who, you know, who actually would give money to this, right? I mean, right. Uh, uh, you know, I think we, you know, a few of us uh, that were involved with this were just as stunned as anybody about the money coming in. Right. Uh, we knew we couldn't be enriched off it. We knew that it couldn't really go in to build the party. The only thing you could do uh, is recount it. And I think after Jill looked at a variety of 
of social science data uh, from different groups of election integrity uh, activists and scholars, uh, that's when she decided uh, to do it. Uh, and, uh, and again, uh, she, I would say, was not the first choice, I think. And I know people had contacted Podesta and the DNC. I know people were, you know, reaching out repeatedly, the mm -hmm. same group, uh, to the Clinton campaign. Uh, so Jill was brought in, and I think at first reluctantly. Uh, and, uh, you know, once she realized there was red flags, uh, she was willing she to proceed because we have a non-transparent vote. The United States, uh, in my opinion, does not have a functioning democracy as long as they allow these private companies to secretly program the computers. Jill Stein, one of her major issues was the Dakota pipeline, the uh, the uh, situation happening over there uh, in uh, in South Dakota. And uh, it's currently, you know, extremely heated. The, the protests are... Um, you know, there, there, there's, there seems to be a lot of life in the protests still, and there's certainly a lot of, uh, of, 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 of blowback from the protests. What are your thoughts on the Dakota pipeline? I know Barack Obama did say that he would support allowing the pipeline to go through. The administration has since backtracked on that. What are your thoughts on Jill Stein and that entire situation? Does the left is that a is that a winning issue for the left? These sort of environmental uh, movements that uh, that seem to not they seem to be becoming more organized than previous. Well, I think uh, if our position uh, has been to let, uh, particularly in terms of renewable energy, uh, to let the market, uh, you know, go forward. I mean, the fact that you would go through Native American territory, desecrate graves, and you know, draw out some of the, you know, most toxic. Uh, oil and gas remaining mm. with over 900, you know, uh, known uh, toxic substance often used uh, by various companies in the process, you know, and, uh, and any fracking that'll occur in that process uh, or facilitate the fracking uh, through that pipeline, you know, has to be considered. So I, I think ultimately. Uh, because of the attack on Native Americans, because of the fact that we actually have alternative technologies mm -hmm. uh, uh, that would go forward, uh, I think these stands are incredibly uh, important. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the largest gathering of Native Americans since Custard was defeated. Uh, and uh, I think many of the things uh, that uh, we can draw from that population uh, uh, as it reemerges uh, re and reinserts itself, uh, should be important. And more than anything else, you know, the concept of clean water. I mean, uh, I was the attorney. I mean, my own bias here. I represented the Native American Indian Center uh, uh, for over a decade in Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, their term, Matakawasi, which literally translated as a greeting or, or departure, is uh, all my relations. So there's a very holistic uh, approach to this. I'm sort of surprised that it hasn't caught on more. I mean, as you know, uh, uh, both Jill and her vice president, uh, uh, presidential candidate, uh, were arrested out mm -hmm. there uh, for protesting. And originally they were talking about, you know, possible uh, felonies, but they backed off for spray painting a dozer. 
Right. Well, I mean, that's interesting. You mentioned how it's the largest gathering of Native Americans since Custer. Um, these large pockets of minority groups, specifically disenfranchised groups like the Sioux, uh, how would would if we get rid of the electoral college, if we do go with a with a general population vote for a general election, would that enfranchise a lot of the smaller groups that are pre that are currently um, not really getting there to be represented in a lot of these states that they live in? I mean, obviously, the Dakotas went heavily for Donald Trump, uh, and it does seem sort of. Uh, as if the, 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 the notion behind the Electoral College, of course, giving power to the smaller states, it seems as if perhaps that's come and gone, and it's actually leading to more disenfranchisement than previously um, wanted. Well, that's, uh, you know, my position is we should move uh, uh, in some ways to proportional representation with the Electoral College not congressional representation because that's so badly uh, gerrymandered. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, uh, I think, you know, as a voting block now over a million people, they would have much more uh, influence under a system that uh, abolished the electoral power, uh, college, which in part was there for, you know, uh, to hide the slavery in the three-fifths uh, bonus question mm-hmm. uh, uh, as well. So when you say proportional representation, just let the audience know what that is. I mean, so that would mean that everyone who voted. So, for example, in Wisconsin, Hillary Clinton would have gotten nearly half of the vote. Right. Yeah, you would you would have simply uh, and again, you know, the the winner could have gotten the, uh, you know, the uh, the two uh, uh, votes that are associated statewide with uh, uh, the Senate, although the senators aren't the ones serving in those as electors. But, yeah, it's. She would have got half the uh, electoral vote out of Wisconsin. Uh, I think uh, a proportional system uh, would serve democracy much better. 1992 in in Ohio, um, Clinton got 42% of the vote, and he got all 21 electoral votes. Now, it easily could have been uh, 9-8 and 4 for Ross Perot. and the uh, and I think pro deserve those people. You get 19 percent of the vote. I believe you should have had 19 percent of the electors, and you could have cut a deal right. with one or other of the candidates around the issue of the ballot budget, for example. Um, how do you think that would actually influence campaigning? Because one of the most interesting things about this 2016 campaign uh, election season was Trump going to Minnesota, going to Wisconsin, going to Michigan, uh, Kellyanne Conway sort of becoming the, the sage of all political campaign managers out of nowhere. How would a proportional representation electoral college alter how we do our elections? I mean, alter not how we do our elections, but how do pe- how do the candidates campaign? Would it, would it force them to go to all 50 states? Because right now, so many people feel as if I'm in a blue state, I'm in a red state, we have 10 swing states, and other than that, nothing matters. Well, in, inevitably that, I think it would force candidates to go to, uh, uh, to states, particularly uh, states where uh, they're trying to rack up electoral votes, right? Uh, you can bet that Clinton would have went to Wisconsin and Michigan uh, uh, if there was proportional representation, because it would have been, you know, the fact that she was, you know, only in the exit polls projected to win by, you know, four points here in Wisconsin. So, I mean, the battleground state strategy is always you take the 10 or 12, uh, or in some cases less 
at the end. I mean, I live here in Ohio. You know, I I have to duck because there's so many. Pre- you know, they're usually here every other day or they're right. key surrogates. I mean, literally a cup three blocks from my house, I saw Bill Clinton uh, walking uh, with an overpass with virtually nobody by him uh, in some last minute. Uh, you know, trip into the state. Right. Uh, he was over on the east side in the black community here. So, uh, yeah, and I think there would be a lot more uh, states that would be visited. Uh, you wouldn't be able, I think, to take your home base for granted, realizing all you need is one vote uh, more than anyone else to get all of the electoral votes. Right, right. And that does seem to be what happened with the left uh, in particular in this cycle. They did seem to sort of assume that certain individuals' demographics that they had carved out would just support Hillary outright. And those groups didn't really show up. I mean, uh, the black vote was extremely low. Even black men, 8% went for Donald Trump. I know it's not the largest number of all time, but it certainly isn't terrible for a Republican, specifically one who ran such a uh, campaign with such vitriol. Um, And then he got 30% of the Hispanic vote as well. So So perhaps what you're saying is uh, if we would go to a a different um, methodology, those individuals, those groups uh, would be more heavily represented. And not only that, I think third parties uh, would have an incentive, uh, you know, to get the uh, minimum uh, requirement uh, to get one of those electors. So uh, I think it would actually be good for the country to have a few green electors and uh, and libertarian electors uh, that if it was close uh, could, you know, get a few cabinet positions and introduce some of their ideas uh, into the uh, winning coalition. Yeah. Were you happy with the th- – we'll let you go in, in, a, in just a few minutes, please. Oh, you can always hang up the phone whenever you want. Um, but were you happy with the third-party options this year? Uh, did Gary Johnson do what you expected him to do? He got 3% of the vote. He quadrupled what the Libertarian Party had previously done. And Jill, of course, uh, had a uh, had a impact on uh, certainly some of the narrative, and she, she certainly uh, brought Hillary to the left. Were you happy overall with what the third-party candidates brought to the table in this election cycle, or do you think the binary two party system kind of uh, proved once again that they're undefeatable? Uh, I think the problem was that the third parties were hurt uh, badly uh, by how scared uh, the other side was of the possibility uh, uh, of their victory, uh, but clearly not scared enough of Trump not to go out and let him uh, get votes. I think a lot of people, you know, at the last second, it looks like, uh, uh, unless there was some problems uh, with the vote counting, uh, decided uh, not to vote uh, for the third party. And it's a real tragedy because I think this this year we were closer than ever. Uh, I think more than anything, you know, I'm, I'm a bit sad about uh, Bernie Sanders because yeah. he was offered uh, the presidential line by Jill Stein on the Green Party, and he had spent most of his early life in the Liberty Union Party there in Vermont a whole decade, and he'd actually done the first uh, documentary on Eugene Victor Debs. So he spent his entire life getting in a position to actually create 
a uh, Democratic left party in America, mm-hmm. and push came to shove, he ends up endorsing uh, uh, the woman who robbed him in uh, a dozen states. And wasn't that interesting? Did you think that hurt uh, Bernie's legacy? I mean, obviously, he's already 74 years old. It would be 78. Uh, he, he would be 78 uh, in 2020. Do you think he tarnished his reputation by going full bore with Hillary Clinton? And obviously, there was some uh, negotiations that occurred. He certainly had enough money to buy a nice house and things like that. Did he hurt himself? Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, uh, he he moved himself uh, from the pantheon of, of the beloved, uh, like Eugene uh, Victor Debs, who, by the way, was the most libertarian of democratic uh, socialist. Uh, you know, I mean, this is the guy who, who showed up in 1917 in Canton, Ohio, and said the rich have always declared war and poor and working people have always died. And, and uh, you know, to someone who's, you know, was just another deal cutter, as much yeah. as he broke the barrier on uh, the use of the term democratic socialism, when push came to shove, he just didn't have it in him. Uh, to do what uh, he had spent the early life, uh, early part of his life fighting for, and that is creating a real option uh, on the Democratic left. Right. You know, I mean, I think the same things needed uh, uh, on the libertarian forces in this country. Uh, We desperately need those voices uh, in the debate. If not, you end up with uh, really just the god awful Trump versus Clinton uh, driven by, uh, you know, uh, obvious evils uh, that aren't even lesser evils is that uh, I think people were contemplating, uh, uh, you know, and projecting more evils that actually were realistic in the long run. Do you think that uh, Bernie Sanders, um, I watched this documentary recently about Henry Wallace. Uh, Does that name ring a bell? Sure. 1948 Progressive Party, you know, was dumped uh, for Truman or would have been the president of the United States. So it seems like and and I couldn't stop thinking of the comparisons uh, between this election cycle and between uh, the the cycle that he had with Truman. Wallace, everyone was going crazy for Wallace and the powers that be sort of uh, curtailed his uh, supporters. And and they they really screwed him over in in a similar way that uh, that Bernie was. Um, could you see Bernie going down as sort of a Henry Wallace character? Sure, sure. I think uh, that's probably the best comparison, uh, except uh, uh, Wallace at least had enough courage to uh, uh, to run on the, the progressive party, uh, uh, a third party. So I wish uh, Bernie would have went down that way instead right. of – you know, his last battle uh, uh, being uh, the Democratic primary where he ends up uh, uh, endorsing Hillary Clinton. Uh, I, I think Wallace uh, may have had a better uh, ending uh, fighting uh, as a third party force. Well, thank you so much for being here. Final question. I just want to take it uh, to Obama. I don't know when we get to talk again. President Obama, he's out of office uh, January 20th. Trump takes over the Twitter account and then then it's official. What do you think uh, Obama's legacy is going to be? Oh, I, I think he'll be considered, you know, uh, in the middle of the pack as uh, as presidents. I think, you know, he'll get credit, uh, even though Biden, you know, announced it first on on sort of tolerance on uh, on gay marriage. Uh, I, I I'll think I think he'll get some justification for keeping. 
you know, poverty uh, relatively uh, low. Uh, but sadly, I mean, I agree with Project Censor. Uh, I think his long-term legacy is expanding U.S. troops uh, uh, in a 80% increase in countries all over the world, and uh, uh, and as part of that, his drone policy that may have violated the Constitution. So I think his real legacy uh, uh, is going to be uh, what he did with the expansion of the empire. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being here, and we'll have to watch this uh, Wisconsin recount closely and uh, and see what happens with that. Um, who knows, huh? Maybe Jill Stein's the next president of the United States. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, well, uh, then we'd have to look and see if the Russians hacked it. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being with us, Professor. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. And I did not lie about the zingers. I was on fire. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Professor uh, Fetrakis, for, for being on the show. And uh, I really appreciate you guys. We're doing great. Go to the Abling and Stop at Facebook page. Um, you know, put up, I don't know, put memes up there and posts. And then people have been, uh, you know, great as always. We're crushing it on iTunes. We were new and noteworthy. We're beating Glenn Beck. Hannity is next. Um, so we're doing awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope this helped answer a few questions about, uh, what Jill Stein is doing. The green party, uh, is doing in Wisconsin, because I know there seems to be a lot of confusion out there. I mean, frankly, there's still quite a bit of confusion. Um, but, uh, you know, it's democracy in action and, uh, you got to give respect to, uh, professor Fatrakis for trying to perfect it. Um, you know, it's not, uh, it's not an easy battle. So thanks so much for listening, everyone. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Kissel and on Instagram at Ben Kissel one. I still don't know how to use it. Find Marcus Parks on Twitter at Marcus Parks. Instagram, he's at Marcus Parks as well. Travis, do you want to plug anything? Sure. I'm uh, at Ghost Garbage on Twitter. So check out Ghost Garbage on Twitter. He's a great guy. And uh, he also produces our last stream on the left. Yeah. So he does a lot of work. Under codename Titties. They called you titties. I don't know I didn't, why we... I didn't approve of titties. I, he, I have to say, I don't call you titties. I wonder if Henry had that stored up, though. He like he was waiting to drop it. First episode, five minutes in, titties. Titties it is. Well, it's a better nickname than I had when I was growing up, which was hippo. <laughs> so titties is still nicer because what do people love? Titties. Everyone loves that's it. True. That That's it. So your your nickname is a beloved. Thank you. Don't even stress Thank it. Thank you, Henry. Uh, so, yes, again, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. And, uh, well, I guess it's over now. So welcome back to your real life but everything will be just fine. Um, All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color, starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.